0: What's up, world? Is Kevin Hart. Listen, instead of a new episode of Gold Mines this week, I wanted to share one of my favorite episodes of our new music podcast, One Song, hosted by my friends The Aloe Riddle and Luxury. Each week, the guys break down one song from the pop music canon. You'll develop a new appreciation for the music behind the greatest hits from artists like Buno Mars, Amy Winehouse, Notorious B.I.G., and more! Whether it's getting to hear the isolated vocal track from Biggie's Mo' Money, Mo' Problems, learning that the catchy intro on Uptown Funk was originally just intended as instructions for the basses, but ended up in the final mix, you'll never hear these songs the same way again. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, make sure to subscribe and follow one song on the SXM app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And look out for new episodes every Thursday. All right, now, guys, I'll shut up. You can finally hear the show.
1: I'm director, actor, writer, and sometimes DJ, Diallo Riddle. And I'm producer, DJ, and songwriter, Luxury. And this is One Song, the show where we deconstruct and celebrate some of your favorite songs from the past 60 years in music history and tell you why it deserves one more listen that's right yo luxury what's up with you
2: man it's been quite the week it's been a big week i'm exhausted i'm tired why was it a big week as epmd would say if you're tired go and take a nap do we have time for a nap i don't have time for
1: a you nap. know what that was a diss back yeah. when he said it but now that we're a little older like it's like go take a nap why yes i will eric sermon it's will a kind suggestion a now <laughs> like thank eric, you I, <laughs> I don't mind if I, I am do. tired I, was it the as eyes? a matter of fact i
2: <laughs> we're too <laughs>
1: I mean, D was looking out for
2: but us. i am not too tired to have an hour-long chat with my buddy diallo about music i'm kind of pumped i gotta be honest with you
1: oh okay well should we get this thing started let's do it if you didn't know, this August is the 50th anniversary of the birth of hip-hop. We'll be covering a lot of hip-hop songs, but I'm excited to say that today's song comes at literally the halfway point in hip-hop's history. So if you consider 1973, the beginning, right, we DJ are now cool firmly planted in 1997. Okay, it's not granted. It's not 1998. Yeah, but yeah. 1997, about as clear as a halfway mark as we can get. And, and it marks a shift in how mainstream hip-hop is going to become. Mm-hmm. And, and and the irony is that the artist, the main artist on this song, never got a chance to see
2: it. Oh my God, such a
1: build-up, the suspense. <laughs> Can we, what is the song? We all want to know. Well, get ready, because today we're talking about the Notorious B.I.G., Puff Daddy, and Mace on their hit song, Mo Money Mo Problems.
3: PPN, No info for the D.E.A. Federal agents mad because of flagrant and the phone in the
2: basement. By the way, I had a quick question for you. It yeah. is the 50th anniversary, technically, of, of Cool Herc throwing that party at the rec room at 120 Sedgwick. In the Bronx. In the Bronx. Yeah. Do you agree that that should be the beginning um, of hip-hop? You
1: know, without stepping into the minefield of what is hip-hop, I think Step that, into it. No, because that's a whole other episode. That's a whole other episode. And, okay. and I really want to spend some time talking about big- Money and But problems. I do think yeah. that, um, you know, you've got the four avenues of hip-hop present in some form at that party according to the people who were there yeah you know you've got teenagers break dancing uh emceeing you know on the turntable. there may have been some, some and graffiti, some graffiti yeah there exactly too. <laughs> like you know to you know again there there are there are endless books written about this but i think that to have those four avenues come together yeah. you know in, in a public setting way and to have those kids realize that they had sort of stumbled on something a new a new recipe, yeah. if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I honor it. I mean, like, it's hard to put your finger on it and to also think about how far we've come. Right. Right? Like right. you know, nowadays you can definitely go to a hip hop show and there's no graffiti in sight. Right. You know what I mean? There's very little <laughs> the graffiti. Break and the b boying is yeah, yeah, exactly. gone downhill so, a little. You know right. things are going to change in fifty years. And I th- actually think that's the most beautiful thing about hip hop. Right. Is that anytime Somebody, you know, tries to over intellectualize it or, or come along and constrain it yeah. in the way that, like, you know, rock journalism has sort of constrained rock music. Right. I feel like hip hop's like, no, that's not even the that's not even the rubric we're using anymore. You well, know what I, mean? I was
2: going to say that seems interesting to just sort of dawn on me is like, it, we're talking about a live moment and like that as the crux of the birth of a genre makes so much sense because hip hop happened in a room with people experiencing it, experiencing there was a DJ on the turntables, yeah. there were MCs, there were B-boys, it was all happening in a live setting. And we, we now kind of think of it as a genre that we choose to listen to and maybe we go to a show. But the birth of hip hop is the birth happens in a live setting, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. There weren't any recordings yet. There were no hip hop records out yet, right? And I think nowadays, if there are new genres being invented, I think they're happening. They're not in happening in live settings Oh yeah, you don't way. need
1: a five thousand yeah. dollar studio or a performance at Carnegie Hall. Uh, it's usually people on their laptops piecing house. together Absolutely. music in their in their bedrooms. Totally you know, interesting, habit. but hip hop's fifty. Hip-hop can, you know, definitely get into a movie for a little bit cheaper yeah. now yeah, <laughs> if yeah. it goes to a movie. But if hip-hop's 50, it probably does prefer going to theaters Midlife for stuff. crisis for um But when it was in its, you know, mid-20s, uh, this song came out. And this song means so much to hip-hop, I feel. Um, we didn't know it necessarily at the time. And some of this is looking back, but I just think that this is one of the seminal hip-hop tracks. And you can sort of see where hip-hop goes off in a different direction, not just for Moment Any More Problems, but Life After Death in general. That album, such yeah. a major you know, moment in hip-hop history that uh, I thought we'd spend some time talking I'm about I'm excited. It I
2: can't wait to, like, get, frankly, get educated from well, your Well, that's why I'm going to break down
1: the essentials. Yeah. Uh, this song was released uh, after Biggie died, and I would point out after Tupac died about nine months before him. Uh, In 1997, Uh, this was on Biggie's second and final album, Life After Death, as I said. We all know that Biggie's real name was uh, Christopher Wallace. He was fatally shot uh, in Los Angeles after attending an after party, and uh, Life After Death was literally released 16 days after his murder.
2: And by the way, quick question for you. The Biggie Smalls, Notorious B.I.G. thing. There's a transition that happens, right? Because he starts out as Biggie. He starts off as Biggie And then e. there's like a lawsuit, right? From well, there was white like a Biggie. rapper named
1: Biggie Smalls. Small. was a Smalls. white rapper.
2: Yeah. There's a white guy named Biggie Smalls who, like, threatened a lawsuit or something, and so then he made the conversion? Is that what I, happened?
1: I don't know if it was threatening. I mean, like, you know, nowadays you see things on social media that suggest that it goes really deep in okay. terms of, like, you know, Biggie Smalls sticking out not just the name, but, like, the use of certain samples. I'm not going to touch that either. I feel okay. like that's a different kind of briar patch. Um, but obviously at some point he needed to change his name for legal reasons, and he became the notorious B.I.G.
2: Okay. So we're going we're gonna to call him Big. We're just going to go by Big today. We might call
1: him everything. We can call him whatever we want. Might big call Papa. him Biggie, might call him, you know, King of New York. Mike. You know, we might call him a lot of things.
2: Man has a lot of names.
1: Might call him Frank White. I love the fact that he called himself Frank White because, like, clearly, like— <laughs> rappers have a lot of time to watch movies when they're on tour <laughs> and i find that like they're usually some of the most voracious consumers of movies so like they'll see a movie he'll be like yo christopher walker played frank white in uh king of new york oh, is that where i'm going that name no man. way i love that but you know what's crazy is like this was also a concept album you know it picks up where the last song on his uh debut album which i think is you know, just an amazing album, Ready to Die, amazing album. It picks off where that album left off, and, you know, that song, that, that last song, I believe, is called Suicidal Thoughts, you know, so this was life after death, you know, uh, which made a lot of sense at the time, and Mo Money, Mo Problems was a monster hit, officially ushering in what some people call the shiny suit era <laughs> of hip-hop. I mean, yeah. like, You know, I remember Fat Joe's first video, You Gotta Flow, Joe. He had 80 guys in the Bronx standing on pure rubble. Everybody had on, you know, like, the fat jackets and, like, the the timbos. And, like, no, nowadays, like, when Puffy takes over hip-hop, when Puffy and Biggie, I should say, take over hip-hop, everybody's wearing these shiny suits, you know, in the videos. You know, even people who weren't about that before. I'll never forget. I remember Mike Geronimo, one of my favorite New York rappers, and if anybody wants to ever check out Mike Geronimo, he's got some great songs, The Natural, Master I See. He's got a song called Time to Build, which is the first appearance. I'm going to talk in comic book terms. It's the first appearance of of DMX, Ja Rule, and Jay-Z all on one cut. Oh, wow. That's canon. But they're all featured, and, <laughs> Matt and Mike Geronimo is the star of the track, and it's just funny because, like, three years later, you know, they're all – Mega superstars, but I bring up Mike Geronimo just to say that, like, he was like gully, you know, like he had that New York swag going. And then, literally after "More Money, More Problems," Mike Geronimo's next video, he's wearing a shiny suit, and everybody's like, "Oh, you Big know, to him. The, shiny to suits, him. the shiny suits, the shiny
2: suits." So I want to dig into the story of the song and the, mm-hmm. the production and how it got made a little bit. So, as you probably know, uh, there's a, a squad working for a uh, bad boy called the Hitmen. Those are the production yeah, team, right? The Hitmen. And, um, you know, apparently. Stevie J is in there, Stevie right? Stevie J is in there. Stevie J is the producer, of, is the co producer of this song. Now, Puff gets co producer credit, but when you say producer, it can mean a lot of things. <laughs> There's a spectrum of, of what producer means. Yeah. Puff Daddy is not the Kanye type of producer. He's not like the premier type of producer. He's right. not in there with the MPC making the beats. But what he is doing, and this is kind of worth talking about mm-hmm. in this topic, because he is a visionary for whatever, what, lots of things that can be said about Diddy or Puff at the time. What he is is he's he's the guy that's like has the grand master vision like we're going to do this we're going to hit this up and he leans back and he directs people what they're going to do musically
1: in the track. I also got the sense he would be like, "You know what? I don't like those bells right there." That's right. "Bring that bring down and that that's bass really a little crucial. bit or that's, bring I think up that that's, snare a little bit." Like, that's you know. absolutely
2: right. And that's underrated because I think sometimes people think, "Well, unless you're touching the faders, mm-hmm. are you really making anything?" And the answer is yes. That is a very Rick Rubin is a very famous modern example of someone who's leaning back in the chair making choices and and kind of helping with the big picture. You know what? Let's trash all the songs and write completely new ones, you know? It's sort
1: of like what a director does when he's looking over his editor's shoulder.
2: Right. Yeah. Or the cinematographer. Director's not holding the camera, usually.
1: Exactly. Almost never. Almost never, right.
2: But I say all that, and in this case, from what I understand, the actual choice to flip the sample, the Diana Ross sample, came from Mace, who was for a par- real? For real, and I, I, I never knew that. I, I found a couple uh, instances of him talking on, on on some footage of him, like where he's still mad <laughs> because <laughs> it was his idea and yeah. he brought it to, um, to and Steve he didn't J. get a producer. He wanted him. it for himself. and Stevie's like, "That's great, let's do it." And then Puff comes in and he's like, "Oh, this is for Big."
1: That explains why I think this is going to be controversial. Do it. Go. There. I think that Biggie's verse is obviously a classic Biggie verse, but. I think Mace has the best verse. And that's probably because he found the track and he felt the greatest connection yeah. to this song. That that that's really interesting that's that interesting, you bring that yeah. up. Cause I think it's like it's like a, a solid mid-class biggie verse. I, I can think oh, of a lot of biggie verses okay. where I'm like, oh, Biggie just proved he's the goat. This is not really one of those verses. And I do feel wow. like the Mace, who's not who, you know, who's hot, who's not like, he comes in on the track with yeah. a certain connection to it. That it, you know, it doesn't surprise me. He's the one who found the who found the sample,
2: right? And it's interesting you mention that because that does become one of the more iconic lines from the song. We'll get into it in a bit, but that mm-hmm. becomes an interpolation for Drake later. The mace, the mace, who's hot, who's not? Those those bars, may be more than the Biggie bars.
1: What the and there may be some sub. I don't know what we would call it back in the it wasn't subtweeting back then, but maybe <laughs> there's there's some subbing of uh, who shot you? Yeah, there's yeah, some yeah. shade maybe directed at a certain. Uh, other famous rapper Tupac. There's sure. a lot of things that could rhyme with Tupac at the beginning of that Mace verse.
2: Oh, uh, I, 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 okay. You're going to we'll, have to talk about that later. That sounds cool. So, going back to the story, how the song gets made around 96, Puff brings his stable, the Hitman. they go to Trinidad. And they're like, we're just going to get out of town. We're going to get out of the mindset of all this stuff going down, and we're just going to make music. Wow! So they spend six weeks in hotels in Trinidad. They got two <sighs> rooms set up.
1: Sounds like a dream. With
2: engineers, and they just have the hitmen going through track, 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 crank, crank, crank. And a lot of the stuff that ends up on um, on Puff's solo album, but also oh, on the Biggie Puff, Danny and the Family. A lot of that stuff, which comes is out an in album that I
1: feel like goes very much hand in hand, even right. with the sort of like sepia tone. Yeah. Uh, album art.
2: I can't, it came out a week <laughs> later, right? The 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 Puff album comes out a week after the More Money, More Problems comes out in, in 97, if you can believe it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So basically, it was Mace's idea to flip the I'm Coming Out sample. He he just came into the studio and was like, I got a great one. Give it, give it to me. Give me I'm Coming Out. This is this 1980 huge hit for Diana Ross which is effectively a Chic song with Diana Ross singing it, because it's Nile Rodgers and Bernard Edwards and Tony Thompson. It's the band Chic playing a song, and Diana Ross is singing on top. Yeah. And that actually ends up being controversial later. Diana Ross doesn't like the song. She has all the production redone. The versions you end up hearing are remixed by other people, and she never works with Sheik again, which is ironic because it's a huge hit. It's everyone's favorite Diana Ross album. Is, it's a great album. It's a great album. It's, it's got a great album. And I've listened down, to the
1: original um, chic version out. of all these songs, yeah. and they sound pretty much the same. Pretty similar. The, the, what got released. I agree. I,
2: I, there's barely, there's very subtle differences. But yeah. so the Diana
1: Ross sample, I want to play it for you
2: because one thing that's interesting that most people don't know is in the first place, you're hearing a pretty wholesale four-bar loop of I'm coming out. Right. In fact, when the song starts, you're like, oh, the Diana, Diana Ross <laughs> is on the radio. <laughs> I like, it literally just is the song yeah. until you get that wooka-wooka-wooka <laughs> coming in.
1: Was the beef that a lot of us had with Puffy and Bad Boy Records in general was that, you know, when you have people like DJ Premier who take obscure records, flip them into like pretty much brand new compositions by just the way they chop them up. And, oh, yeah. you know, like DJ Premier, Pete Rock, like these guys are like, you know, they're doing what Dilla will do in the 2000s, right? right. But like Puffy and them, they were just like, <laughs> I mean, even let you know we take hits from the 80s. Don't Literally. Sound so crazy? Literally. He, he you know? told you what they were doing.
2: <laughs> Yeah, so it sounds like it's a single four-bar loop, but what's actually going on is a little more complicated. I'm going to play it for you. There's actually two samples that are being layered here. So here's the first Diana Ross sample. And here's the second sample. And then I'll play them both together so you can hear how they blend. Something that's really cool when you hear those, those samples isolated is you hear all the grit and crackle because these are vinyl records that are being sampled. This is, this is still the era pre-digital. There are CDs and such, but they're sampling these records. They're sampling the vinyl copies of the records, so you get all the grit. All right, now I'll play them together. Oh, and I almost left one thing out. There's actually a third layer that comes in after every, I think, 16 three layers.
1: bars.
2: Which is just that first beat, that first downbeat. One, two, three, four. Uh, that's all that was.
1: By the way, I remember that when this uh, Diana Ross sample was used in Mo Money, Mo Problems, it caused a little bit of controversy uh, at the time. You know, there were, there were whispers of like, you know, I'm coming out, why... Why Puffy using you know? Why do you sample a gay anthem? You know what I mean? Like this is in the less you know the less woke era of hip hop where like you know there was there was pretty rampant
2: homophobia. Homophobia. Yeah.
1: You know I mean like I think about some of the songs we used to play then that like nowadays like you'll be doing an old school set and you'll forget like you know a certain word or a certain something's coming up in the song. You're like ooh damn. Yeah, that didn't age well. We got away with that. You know, didn't age well.
2: We gotta listen to the sample one more time because there's something about the use of it, the choice, like literally the selection—not just what I played for you, which is the layering, but the selection of a huge 1980 massive disco hit—that's important to talk about. I got a question for you, do y'all. Does this feel like is this is something Q-Tip would would crate dig and? And put in a Tribe Called Quest song. Does this does this qualify as a sample in your opinion that would be used in a De La Soul or a? Well,
1: it's, it's, it's how they use it, right? Like if you go back and listen to you know me myself and I, like they didn't they didn't drastically change uh, you know that sample. Like there were times when Buddy, um, which is a De La Soul Tribe Called Quest you know, classic, really doesn't do that much to change the song that they sampled there. You know, like they, they took a snippet that they liked yeah. and they put it out there. I think what happened was the West Coast blew up really big. And Dre, you know, around the time of the – The Chronic is a seminal album. We, we could spend yes. a whole episode talking about that. But on The Chronic, they didn't do sort of like the, the DJ premiere – Pete Rock. No, and C. I saw it. interpolations, sampling. not samples. They, 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 they were, there was a lot of interpolations, but they were also just taking like, you know, Swing Down, Sweet Chariot, Stop, and Let Me Ride. Like they just took the song and rapped over it. Right. And... And not even in the subversive way I would argue that like someone like Ghostface Killer will rap over a song that he literally didn't change. Like he'll <laughs> literally just put on a song. You'll still hear the vocals singing underneath. It It'll yeah. be like, yo, I saw a baby doll. You know, like it's just like, man, that's, he didn't change a damn thing. This is somewhere in between. And there were definitely rumblings that what they were doing was like, you know, taking a pop song from a previous era, you know, probably 20 years ago. And then just rapping over it, so th- yeah, so I yes, absolutely, I do consider it a sample, but understand that this this type of sampling, though popular uh, with the public, yeah, did get critiqued by a lot of their fellow artists.
2: I think when when you got producers crate digging, you know, in the sort of classic like I, I mentioned Q Tip and yeah. or Dilla or whoever, oh, yeah. like this is there's a art to it, which is both the portion of the song, which I think you were referring to, but also like, what is the song? Yeah. And the more obscure, the better is kind of what I was alluding to a little bit with with the Q-tip mention. So what's happening here is that that is not important to the hitmen. (laughs) The hitmen, they're called the hitmen. Let's take a hit and make a hit. It's right there in the title. There's no surprises going on. But you
1: know, I will say that like, you know, some of this, when you look back now, you do realize like there, anybody could have done this They did it effectively. Right. You know what I mean? And so to a certain extent, I'm not even adopting, you know, an argument that would have been made against the critics back then. Oh, y'all just hating because we're selling out, you know, all these CDs and shows. I'm not making that case about it. I'm not saying any just any old thing that works with the public is automatically good. But um, but the fact is, they, they, you know, the fact that they took a song, a Diana Ross song that at that point in my life, I'd never heard this song. You know, like I just hadn't. And I was like, "Oh man, that you know that sounds really cool." So, to a certain extent, the youth will sort of drive the way. You know what yeah. I mean? Like a song that was twenty years old at the point that I was probably eighteen. You know that that's going to be a brand new song to a certain extent if it's right. an album cut.
2: And you probably feel the history. You you can tell that what's being you can that, what's it's being a sampled song. is it's a song that is from the past. Yes, whether or not you f- were familiar with it. Personally. Right. Right. And that gives it something. That gives it something that makes it hip-hop, probably.
1: Absolutely. I mean, they, again, place everything in its context. This is the late 90s. Boogie Nights is in theaters. Puffy's sampling disco. Like, disco was back in a big way in the end of the 90s because yeah. – You know, again, it was twenty years old and anybody who was like, you know, under thirty thought, Oh wow, this is fun. We're taking our parents' music. And you're
2: right, you kind of alluded to it in the opening. It's like it's a quarter century after the beginning of hip hop, which begins with disco and funk. Yeah. But we're going back with this period of West Coast interpolations and kind of slowed down George Clinton, whatever, this, that, and the other. We're kind of going back to hip hop origins. Exactly. With with tracks like this one.
1: Exactly. And to your point, it wasn't just Diana Ross. Like they were literally taking so many things from, you know, fifteen and twenty years ago. Yep. So he didn't just hit up Diana Ross, he took Bowie for a spin. Right.
3: Yo, yo, this makes you know what I'm saying? You got niggas down like me for whatever reason. You got niggas that don't wanna see me rich. You got niggas that's mad, cause I'm always with they bitch.
2: <laughs> it's the same thing. The song starts and you're like, oh, here comes David Bowie's Let's Dance. It's the same thing as with Mo Money More Problems. The song starts with it. It could be the original song it's only slightly modified it's sort of pitched down slowed slow modified. down right. listen
1: not everybody was in love with this kind of sampling <laughs> right. back then and yeah. and some people are still like oh no you know i gotta i gotta yeah. have you know that the fact that like someone like q-tip can take a mini Ripperton song and take the quietest part of the song right and then flip it into you know a number of songs a, a number of q-tip songs are based off off of mini Ripperton's songs like You know, to me, that is the art. But you know, but this this was something different. This was this was Puffy taking pop music back from the West Coast because by this point, Snoop is off death uh, Snoop is off death row. You know, the, the prize is for the taking, and for you know the first couple of years after Biggie's gone, New York definitely reasserted its dominance. Yeah. You know, because you had Puffy, you had Buster Rhymes releasing, you know, his solo records. He'd moved on from Leaders of the New School. He's not really claiming native tongues in the same yeah. way. We're in the Wu-Tang era. Stuff. Wu-Tang, I would argue, is not really on the scene right now either. I think Wu-Tang has like this amazing period from like ninety three to ninety seven, ninety eight, where they're driving the culture. But I remember, I think the only album that came out from Mutang in like ninety seven, ninety eight, might have been like Inspector Deck or something like that. They you they know, passed
2: like, the torch along to to to, to pop whether sure they, they liked it or not. Any
1: torch whether they meant to or not. I think that what happened was New York discovered how to make hit records in a way that sort of like you know, and also the South is coming up now. So you've got Jay Z, Ja Rule, DMX, like that's sort of the new face of New York. Right, right at this time, I think the RZA was hanging with Quentin Tarantino and doing the Bobby Digital album, you know. But like, you know, this is this is New York's, you know, dominance. And then Fifty Cent comes in. Yeah. But then, sometime around the time Fifty Cent comes in, and Eminem is a huge major pop star, then the South comes in. Right. And all this swings on a pivot that we call life after death, aka. More money, more problem signal.
2: Just to add one more point, by the way, to the sample transformation, in favor of like the you know, the cred reputations of the hitman or 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 puff in general, um, you know, it is important to mention that this is a transformed sample not just because of the layering, but because it's layered furthermore with additional instrumentation. So what Stevie J does, and I think out of the hitman, he was known to be one of the most instrumentally mm. gifted. Yeah. He's programming some beats, and I'm gonna play for them right now. And when you you hear it isolated, that's a
1: a very strong scratch.
2: That's a very strong scratch. And when you hear it isolated, you can kind of hear the song. That is the momentum of the song. The beat of the song is not the disco beat. It's really coming from the additional material that Stevie J adds, not the least of which is the bass line, which is completely original. Is that a live bass? That's a, that's a synthesizer, and he's, oh. playing that, you know, he's playing that part on a synth, layered. By the way, the, probably the reason for it is that in the mix, when you've got a sample and you've got all these beats, there's not a lot of room left for where the bass like, content would go to not just blow up your speakers. So when you play a synth, it's a lot more controllable. You can kind of control where it sits in the mix, basically. So I'll put that together with the sample, and you can hear how the blend is actually very artful.
1: Can I just say, as a DJ, this was a hard record to mix in. It was like because it comes in like, like you kind of want <laughs> There's like no at least mixing like, room. Yeah, like or top. I feel like some some producers will give you like a little snare hit, like a here it You know, like something like that. But like I remember, this,
2: this was a hard one. Just immediate. It's hard. now.
1: It's starting now. I remember. I you know, like and also back in the vinyl days, like you'd pull the record back, and when you Scratch it in like it would actually jump one <laughs> beat ahead, and so coming crazy. And everybody would look at you, not was, DJ friendly,
2: but not made by DJ DJs
1: necessarily. No, no, These not made by hit DJ. record
2: producers for the you radio. Know, things
1: change when we moved to laptops and, yeah. and CDs on because then there was no skipping, but in the skipping days. This one was a, this one was a little hard, but you're making
2: such an interesting point because, like, we were just talking about the birth of hip hop being in a room. I think we're at a moment in hip hop where hip hop is for the radio. Like, literally, let's make a hit for the radio is the intention behind this track, and to their, they didn't really consider DJs needing a little time to get the record set up.
1: But this this song is a pivot because, to me, you know, like, I, I grew up in the south. I grew up in Atlanta, but. To me, most of the early '90s hip hop that came out of New York was grimy and gritty. You know, it was Daz Fx, it was Mob Deep. Nas's first album, Milmatic, is like an ode to like a to a to a pre Giuliani New York. You know what I mean? Like, and that was what everybody thought of when they thought of New York. It was like it was like rhymes and skills, and and it wasn't about you know all these material things. It was about like really people don't even talk about like Redman and Case Solo. And and uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about EPMD, and Rakim is sort of the birth of that, and uh, KRS-One is sort of the birth of that. And then something happened, and I'm still convinced it's because everybody saw the West Coast just... The West Coast was selling plat. They were going platinum, you know what I mean? They wanted to of that. We're not talking that. about MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice. Like, we're not talking about like, the highest-selling rappers. We're talking about like, the G-Funk sound, Everything that Dre put out after The Chronic, you know, started with nothing but a G thing, but, like, everything they did was just huge. And then Doggy Style got the the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, and it was, like, people were really paying attention to hip-hop in a different way. It was, like, the beginning of hip-hop's ascension to slowly replacing rock as, like, the music of the youth culture. And I truly think that, like, the East Coast saw this. You know, people like Tribe Called Quest (laughs) mob deep to a certain extent like you know which are not really that far apart when you think about like both of them are from queens you know what i mean like they they were watching this they're like well you know we're we're gonna be the protectors of hip-hop as art and i think what puffy did by bringing somebody as talented as biggie as a lyricist he brought somebody who's unassailable you can't ever claim biggie didn't have lyrics he didn't have flow but he put it with production yeah. that was as shiny and as pop-driven uh, as what Dre was doing on the West Coast. Right. Well, and sad. that potent mix sort of came together. You start seeing the beginnings of it on Ready to Die. But Ready to Die is still a very sort of like New York gritty album. You know what I mean? But like <laughs> By the time we get to Life After Death... It's a different biggie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's doing, you know, songs with Jay-Z. He's doing songs with uh I think he's got a song with R. Kelly on there. Um, you know, he's 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 bridging that gap between R and B listeners and hip hop. Right. And again, Mo Money Mo Problems in its shiny in its shiny suit glory, uh, is a song that you don't have to be like wearing a Scully and you know those kind of gloves that everybody wore and like a puffy jacket like no you can be an r&b listener i was just gonna ask you that appreciate part of bringing
2: part of what we what we don't like to do but collectively as people and also on the show is like get a little too like going down the rabbit hole of like pinning down definitions because that that's just a waste of everyone's energy however it does i'm curious to know your opinion like is this track a hip hop track, a pop track, an R and B track? Does it matter, or what would the, what would, if it's a pie? What's the allocation? Because I think that would be an easier question to answer with, uh, with a Nas track, with New York Stadium. I mean, like
1: that's a hip hop track, and what th- is this? Look, I think almost everything on Life After Death is absolutely hip hop. All I'm saying okay. is that you take hip hops, you know, arguably hip hop. It's hip and it going on the radio
2: makes it a pop. Makes it a pop song only after the fact. Is that what? No, something like I, that, I guess what I'm saying: you take okay. hip
1: hop's greatest lyricist and you put him over not the DJ premiere. You know, one of my favorite right. songs on Life After Death is "I Got a Story to Tell." I think it's a fantastic track, but that track is not meant to push the album to sell records or to you know build Biggie's fan base. Yeah. That's 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 a song for the streets. Right. That's I got a They're story. They're mixing to tell. it up on the record. Mo' money, more yeah, problems. Yeah you know um uh sky's the limit i think is on this album these are songs that are very smooth right very big papa biggie yeah you know i said we were gonna give him a million names in this episode <laughs> by the time big papa you made biggie a promise comes and you're out, delivering yeah that that dude he can rap over any smooth song you know and make it hot by the way when hypnotize comes out uh, there were a lot of people who were like, oh, Biggie just released a West Coast record. Right, it sounds Reasons like a West Coast record. Yeah, Herb Alpert. By Herb Alpert felt like a really it's West Coast jazz. thing to does do. sound like a... But, you know, again, Biggie showed the industry that you didn't have to sacrifice your lyricism to sell a lot of records. All you had to do was change the production. And I think that you have to give him credit um, because what he sort of opened the door for was... You know, Label Mates One Twelve on the R&B front. Uh, Mary J. Blige. You know, she she comes in. The Real Love Remix has Biggie on it. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. You know, like Biggie was always saying, like, "Hey, we can we can we can sell records too. We just got to give people something different." And you see it in One Twelve. You see it in Mace. You see it in the Locks. You know, Total. But you know, like it's because of Bad Boy's success with this format that we got. Three of, I think, just seminal New York labels. You got Rough Riders, which gave us DMX and Swiss Beats. You had Murder, Inc., which gave us Ja Rule and Ashanti. And um, and you had Rockefeller, which gave us Jay-Z and eventually Cameron and Dipset and Kanye West. And, you know, these labels, these New York-based labels, you know, they were watching what puffy was doing a bad boy say so yeah. it, it was violator label you know also great label at this time and everybody was doing that while raucous was over here sort of keeping it yeah. new york yeah. true doing its stuff with most deaf and black star you know and 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 a rapper named socrates which which i remember because everybody on the scene was like socrates is the best freestyling rapper in new york and you know sometimes those rappers don't the, the the best freestyle rapper isn't necessarily the best when it comes to writing.
2: And we still have the left field stuff, as it were. We still have the the like native tongue stuff is still happening. They still exist, but they are they kind of exist, on the down? But,
1: but, you know, it's always the like, and uh, let me be very clear. I think Wu-Tang makes great records from 93 till today. And I think that Q-Tip and De La Soul, you know, Rest in Peace, Trugoy. Like, I think that all these people have made great records, but there's a point at which you're driving the culture. Yeah. And there's a point at which there are other people driving. The culture. And I mean, Marauders are sort of
2: the end of their run, right?
1: Um, yeah, I think so. Because I think by the time beats rhymes in life comes out, I think that's the next record. Uh, you know, I'm already listening to outcast at that point. And I'm, I'm starting to notice that the South, the South got something to say, you know, as, that's as he, he said, he said it. it, but, but to come back to puffy, I think that life after death plants a certain flag in the ground and says, "Hey, New York, this still is around. New York," and that's what's so ironic is that baby. At, when I mean, like, not that Biggie wasn't already running New York, but this album, which was a double album, you know, uh, would have absolutely he 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 deserved a, a reign on the top while this album was out, and unfortunately, he he just didn't get it. I, I know you I usually repel at these kind of comparisons, but I consider him a little bit the Kurt Cobain. Oh, we're going of there. Yay. And we can say that for later. Let's take a break yeah, I didn't And hear when anything. we come back, I'll tell you why I think that the notorious BIG is sort of like Kurt Cobain in a different genre. There is so
2: much we need to get into.
1: Is there more show? Is there more show coming up? I think there's more show. We're gonna come back after a quick break.
3: listen to the daily show ears edition wherever you get your podcasts feel the pulse of the city feel the beat of the drum feel the bass blow your hair in las vegas live music delivers much more than sound it's where music comes alive with artists like megan the stallion maroon 5 carrie underwood shania twain Babyface, lionel richie and many more every show is a playground for your senses See the full summer lineup at VisitLasVegas.com.
0: Treat Dad to the good stuff at Nordstrom Rack and save big. Father's Day is Sunday, June 16th, and Nordstrom Rack's got gifts Dad will love up to 60% off. Shirts, activewear, watches, cologne, denim, and more. Find amazing deals on Tommy Bahama, Cole Haan, Original Penguin, and Vince. Great brands, great prices. So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make Dad's Day with gifts up to 60% off. Some people like to deep clean every Saturday morning. I prefer to spend a few minutes every day keeping things fresh with Lysol. Lysol's all-purpose cleaner cleans and kills 99.9% of viruses and bacteria. It can be used on hard, non-porous surfaces like the kitchen, bathroom, and other areas in your home. Don't just clean, Lysol clean.
1: Welcome back. So we've been talking about the Biggie Mace Puff Daddy classic Mo Money Mo Problems. But to understand the two sides of Biggie, we, we got to go back further than yeah. 1997. Take me back. Now, I, I consider myself something of a voracious consumer of mixtapes. And I mean, like, that was that was how you got you know, so much hip-hop back right. then. Like, sometimes you'd be like, man, I don't even listen to the album, but Jay-Z's mixtape with, you know, <laughs> DJ, you know... Is this Envy. the DJ drama era? Is that what this is? I actually want to give a shout-out to to our, our our producer, Eric One, because there are Eric two one. Erics in here, and they can they can Eric fight to e? the death over who gets Eric One and Eric Two. Big E. <laughs> but Big e? Eric reminded me, uh, DJ Clue. World-famous DJ Clue. DJ Clue had the greatest mixtapes at the time because there were versions of songs that we will probably never hear again because they were just... They weren't the album version. They weren't the radio version. We're gonna need they to were do... just a guy rapping over the instrument. We got it.
2: There's gonna be a whole episode. We're gonna have to do a mixtape episode because that's such a seminal part them. of the let's culture. Find them. Yeah.
1: Every now and then I go on YouTube and someone has been so kind to upload these 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 mixes. But I remember hearing Biggie very early on. He he was one of um he was in the source's unsigned hype one month, and that was a big deal. You know, like that was when the source was really driving things too. Right. Like I'll never forget when the source gave Illmatic, Nas's debut album, the five, mics. the proverbial five mics. Like yeah. everybody's like, "Yo, Nas got five mics." Yeah, it's a big deal. They, they're saying there are no notes. Like this is the perfect album. And by the way, if you go back and listen to Illmatic now, can I just say, "Represent"? I might have cut that song. It's got some. I, I think that song. I, I still believe we got to do Classic album, worst song That should be a segment <laughs> Absolutely Every album, oh, almost every one. album yeah, has yeah. a song you would cut. I got ideas But I remember Biggie Smalls The first time I heard him on a mixtape And it was the song Party and Bullshit Party and Bullshit If
3: kicks, honeys wanna chat But all we wanna know is where the party at And can I bring my cat? If not, I hope I don't get shot Better throw my vest on my chest Cause niggas is a mess It don't take nothing but front For me to start something Bucking and bucking at niggas like I was done.
1: And partying bullshit. I, I, you know, I remember everybody was like, "Yo, this dude is sick, and he's really ill." And like, you know, where to party at? And can I bring my GAT? I was like, "Oh, don't let him in our party. <laughs> you know, like, we don't, we Not don't that want that kind any, of party. We don't want any GATS at our party." But like that, I mean, you can hear Biggie was rapping differently than he's in a high register. He's like you know he's like that grimy street kid yeah. out of out of brooklyn you know what different. i mean it just sounds it just so sounds different. really yeah. different than what he's going to end up sounding like and there was there was there was something about the way biggie did used his voice and the way he was weaving a story if you go back and listen to that one and some of his earlier songs i mean this is the first of our two biggies this is how he was introduced to us who were listening to hip hop at the time and it's ironic because if you go and listen to his first album ready to die he kind of acknowledges that he had two styles coming into that first album. You know, because on the track Give Me The Loot, it's like it's like a scene where like an actor acts opposite himself. Yeah. Like it, you hear Biggie use both, both of his voices, voices yeah, yeah. and it's like he's having a conversation he's with it himself. Out too, yeah. yeah, on Give Me The Loot, right. one of the greatest one of my favorite Biggie songs of all time. This is Give Me The Loot off of the debut album Ready to Die.
3: Stick and move, stick and move. Nigga, you ain't got to explain shit. I been robbing motherfuckers the same four five two point blank, a motherfucker, shorter sure child. That's my word. You can even try to poke on, have his mother sing it. It's so hard.
1: Yes, love. that's such a fucked Funny up too yeah. interpolation <laughs> of boys uh, to men. It's so hard to say goodbye. uh But you know, the first time I heard that song, I remember. Some people thought it was two rappers on the song. It's just so different. And somebody was like, "No, that's Biggie rapping both both verses." And that's amazing. It's it was it was subtle enough that like you know some people actually thought it was two different rappers on the song. But there's also just again he's like he's using if you if you really study the lyrics he's using different flows for the different voices. Like they don't they don't their, their staccatos are a little bit different. And uh, it's it's listen it's violent. I got kids now. Some of these lyrics, I'm like, ah, dang, but like, you know, as a kid back then, I was just like, I was loving it. I was loving it completely. You know, there's there's a line on there that got edited on all the CDs that came out of for Ready to Die. He's got a line on there. It says, "Don't give a don't give a fuck if you're pregnant. Give me the baby rings and the number one mom pendant." And I'll never forget. On every <laughs> CD, it says, "Don't give a fuck if you're." <laughs> I
3: wouldn't give a fuck if you give me the baby rings and the number one mom pendant. And I was like, "There's, like there's so much cursing
1: That's on this album." Word, That's the word. That's the word that Diddy That's was, the was the like, "Gone didn't too make the far, cut. Biggie. This is this uh. is not freaking acceptable." But it's almost like the George Clooney approach to making a movie, like or having a a movie career through most of the 2000s. He would do a big Clooney would right. do a big budget movie, so and Burn. then he would do a small. Yeah, he would go off and do a small movie. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like. The, the both biggie albums to a certain extent have songs for the streets and then a song made for radio and not, not that not that Diddy, you know invented this as a as a strategy to get artist play but it definitely felt like he perfected it for the 90s especially yeah, on the east coast yeah. right you know because to this day when i think about that album i think about oh, that that's my favorite song. Like, The Warning is a great song, but it comes on right after a song that you feel like was maybe made at least for the mixed shows, Mix shows being uh, black radio shows North at Street. night. Yeah. So they would play songs that you wouldn't hear during the daytime, but they were still acceptable enough that you could play them at some time.
2: And they're covering the road all road. the different markets, all the different potential audiences. A
1: hundred percent. Basically, Biggie... He cracked that code on how to go both mainstream without losing his street appeal, and that was sort of the the, totally. the potent nature of the second biggie, the biggie who you know some say the X makes the sex spectacular. Let me lick you on your neck and the back and the like. That's a oh, different I love biggie. Your biggie. Like he's <laughs> I can't you. listen all day. But that is that is a guy who's rapping for you know potentially R and B fans. Yeah, just still trying to keep it a little grimy, but. You know, not the same as the biggie we heard on that other song, right? And it's that second biggie we get a lot more of on "Life After Death." Let me ask you: Do you have yeah. his vocals on Mo Money, Mo Problems"? I actually, I got them teed up right here. I got the archive. Where are you getting this stuff? Are we gonna get? Are, are people gonna come find us in the studio and kill us? Because like. You know, it's one thing if it's like, here's some ELO sample. Hey man, <laughs> but one like, of my special but like I don't want I don't want Diddy coming down like, yo, is this serious?
2: Yo, I got friends in I places. That's all I can say. Shall we listen well, we to need some friends here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm your friends here. What are Protection. you saying? You a say. Friendship. Come
1: on. I just don't want to be like, yo, who leaked that stuff to luxury? <laughs> we're not cool with that.
2: Well, we're going to listen anyway because it's pretty it's pretty hair-raising on no, the back of your neck. Let's listen. It. This is Isolated Biggie Smalls.
3: My team supreme, stay clean. Triple beam, lyrical dream. I'll be that. Catch you seat at all events bent. Gats in holsters, girls on shoulders, playboy. I told you, me and Mike's to me. Bruce too much, I lose too much.
1: Okay, I got to say a couple of things about this. One is that, Biggie famously didn't take paper into the studio. Yeah. He was completely off book or memorized, he however Jay-Z, you want to put it.
2: Two, two of the first. and uh, Yeah, two Jay-Z, the
1: same way. So that, that part of it is always amazing to me, how dialed in you have to be to— He's writing them in his head. And, and to—well, not writing them in his head, but, he, but, but it's in his head. It's in his head. But, but here's, here's, what, here's what I've always—because I've always struggled with the idea that Biggie died when he was 24 years old. That's a 24-year-old. And I hear it for the first time in my entire life. I can hear a 24-year-old rapping because you have the vocals with no treatment on it. Yeah. I feel like when they put it in the the track, it's a deeper, like, that sounds like a 24-year-old. When I hear the finished track, I hear a person who I will never be older than you know like oh, wow. he always sounds like a deeper registered boy that is crazy and the
3: phone in the basement my team supreme stay clean triple never for dream i'll be that catch a seat at all events bent Jackson, holsters, girls on Play I told you, to me, too much, lose too much.
2: One of the things I love about hearing and playing and sharing these isolated vocals is that you really hear the human being. You yes. even hear the like the uhs and the like the headphone bleed. You're picturing
1: Biggie as a human being yes. and that's he's that's who's being. in the room with you. he's, he's not a, a voice on high. Right. With all the reverb, and, he's, and that's right. He's not kind of up.
2: enveloped and protected by the musical bed and the beat and the whole and everything else going on. He is just a human, a it's vulnerable just, just person, twenty-four year old kid, and he's a twenty-four year old with kid.
1: amazing talent. Yeah. And it, in in some ways, it, it like touches it. it, it it's it's so, it's so tragic that he'd be cut down so early. You know what I mean? It really like, is.
2: And something else that really comes clear when you listen to the isolated vocals. I mean, you hear everything we've been talking about. You hear his flow, the unusual rhyme schemes where he's placing rhymes not just at the end of a line and then rhyming at the next time there's rhymes within the bu- within the line there'll be a word at the end of a line that gets rhymed twice and then there's mm-hmm. a new rhyme all that stuff is mixed up in addition to his choice of where to place the syllables in time so what's really interesting is when you when you learn that he had a childhood friend there's a a guy in the neighborhood who was a jazz cat like who played with Miles Davis like mm-hmm. a real guy named Donald Harrison that took him under his wing, that saw something innately in Chris, young Chris, Christopher Wallace, and took him in. And young Chris would go to his house, and they would play jazz records. He'd play Max Roach records and point out in like the drum solos like what he was doing and what was interesting about it. So thinking about the syncopation, the idea that the choices a drummer makes are about How to surprise the ear, how to do something syncopated, which means against the beat, that would be unexpected and interesting. That, I think, really sunk in with Biggie. When you think about what he's doing with his choice of where to put the syllables in the air, like when to say something and when to give it a little bit of space is so
1: unusual. You and I have never talked about this ever. Okay. So I'm just amazed and happy that you've brought this up what you're saying is 100% right. And what I've heard somebody else far smarter than myself say online was um, the difference between Tupac and Biggie's flows was that Biggie was almost like a, using his voice as a jazz instrument and Absolutely. Tupac was using his voice as a, as a preacher. So that is he's like, oh you know, God. like, in the it's like, it's like, it's like he that. almost sounds like Martin Luther King. And it's melodic, but like a preacher Biggie's, too, right? Yes. I love that. But Biggie, like you said, he's hitting. Sometimes he's right on the beat, but he's got so much rhythm he can go off the beat and then bring it back to the beat. I, I and it I sounds so casual
2: and and like easy. He's like he's 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 not breaking a sweat while he's
1: doing no, it. No, no, it comes very natural yeah. to him. If you uh, if you think about his verse on one more chance, uh, you know, just the way he could, when the, you know, like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wrap it right now. But go back and listen to I love it. Your and the number Raps. of times that he sort of. Uh, takes a syllable and stretches it past the fourth beat into the first of the next beat, exactly, and keeps it going. Like all that stuff is very jazz-like. It's
2: very drummery, and we're yeah. both drummers, so we talk about it. Like <laughs> yeah. I remember one of my first when you're playing the drums and you learn your fills. The first one you learn is tunes Cat, and you come right back on the one, right? Yeah. And then a little later on, you learn Bones Cat, but that You're kind of like not hitting the crash on the one. You're finding new unexpected places to put the rhythm
1: to put your shout out to the schools where they still have band (laughs) (laughs) thank god for that so you know this episode is sort of like a love letter you know to the notorious big and i just think it's so wild i always try to avoid you know drawing direct comparisons between genres like saying oh uh, Tribe Called Quest is the Rolling Stones of hip hop. Like I, I really try to. We're going to do it stuff. on the show a lot, whether you like it or no, not. No, no, it's I, I almost good refuse. content. It's I good think content. It cheapens no everyone, but I right, will we'll say, vote on it later. I will say there are some, there are some, there's some connecting tissue between. I think Biggie and Kurt Cobain, in the sense that, you know, there are two major release albums under both of their belts for for Nirvana, Nevermind and um In Utero. I know that they did Bleach. Look, Biggie did a whole album worth of of, you know, stuff before he came out with Ready to Die. But I'm saying there are two sort of major major albums that he, both guys brought out and then they're gone, you know? Then they're yeah, just too gone. Soon. they're 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 gosh, this sounds like I'm trying to make a joke. Their reign on the top is very brief. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're
2: not around very long. They're not around, but like their their lasting
1: impression on the genre. And when you see kids who are eleven and twelve now walking around with Notorious B.I.G. on their shirt, it just really lets you know just how much impact you can have in just a really brief period. I was just having
2: this conversation, like if you go around the world you'll see just like graffiti and spray paint and in t-shirts like who are the iconic artists that have traveled you'll yeah. see i think you might see some john lennon you'll probably <laughs> see some bob marley and you'll probably see some big and you might see some kurt cobain i think there's this small group of artists who went too young that have global impact decades after and their, you know i think you've passing. got
1: to prove you kind of prove my point in the sense that like john lennon tupac these are guys who have a lot of albums to me what makes what connects kurt with with chris is that they kind of both broke out in 91 (laughs) you know what i mean and by you know by 97 they're both gone and and you can't imagine the 90s without these these icons you know it's just their impact was huge
2: yes perfectly put
1: well that's our show
2: thank you for sharing the tale of two biggies with me
1: (laughs) anything for you my friend uh help me in this thing let's do it together shall we yes who are you again? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I am producer, DJ, and songwriter Luxury. And I'm director, actor, writer, and sometimes DJ Diallo Riddle. And this is One, One Song. Song. Until next time. Bye-bye.
2: One Song is a Sirius XM and Kevin Hart's LOL Radio production. It's hosted by me, Luxury, and my friend Diallo Riddle. This episode was produced by Matthew Nelson and Jordan Calling, with engineering from Marcus Hahn. Additional production support from Leslie Guam, Charles Childers, and Alicia Shimada. The show is executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, and Eric Weil.
3: Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Treat Dad to the good stuff at Nordstrom Rack and save big. Father's Day is Sunday, June 16th, and Nordstrom Rack's got gifts Dad will love up to 60% off. Shirts, activewear, watches, cologne, denim, and more. Find amazing deals on Tommy Bahama, Cole Haan, Original Penguin, and Vince. Great brands, great prices. So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make Dad's Day with gifts up to 60% off.